All right. I want to say a big hello to everybody today as uh, we get ready to wrap up our series in Habakkuk. Uh, we have been talking about the idea of hope in the dark, uh, trying to figure all this out. It's been uh, it's just been an unbelievable season. Just talking, you know, backstage um, with some of the folks in the worship. It's a uh, it's quite a challenge to figure out everything that's that's gone on, and we've so we've tried to talk through this minor prophet, minor in the sense that it's smaller, but not minor in the sense that it's unimportant. And so, talking through the uh, the story of Habakkuk and what he went through, uh, and so we've come to the conclusion of that series in chapter three um, today. And uh, you know, I've been married now for thirty years. Um, to Carmen. And uh, one of the things that I uh, honestly can say is it's been a challenge, especially early on in our marriage. I, I, uh, I often thought I was right about most everything in my marriage, not just my marriage, but just in general thought I was just right about most things. And the reality is, is that I found it difficult to let things go because of that. Uh, I had a hard time, I just had a hard time letting things go. And so issues that should have been resolved or probably were resolved for people um, in simpler ways uh, and in fewer days seemed to linger with me because resolution for a conflict for me back when I was younger could take two days, three days because I just... I had such a very difficult time resolving things within me to be able to learn to let things go. And so I've titled this conversation about the last step of finding hope in the dark resolved because at some level, at some level, no matter what, no matter what Habakkuk's issues were and no matter what his struggle was and no matter what our issues are, no matter what our struggles are, resolution at some point in time has to come. Because without resolution, there's ultimately no peace. And without peace, we see how individuals around us handle life with no peace. Because all of us at some level, all of us at some level, are looking for that. We're just looking for peace. And if we can't find it through some kind of resolution or something being resolved within us, then we seek other means by which to resolve the issue. And that's ultimately where Habakkuk finds himself in chapter 3 of his of his story, of his conversation. If you've been with us the whole time, we've talked about this idea that ultimately in chapter 1, Habakkuk was a man that had, had some issues with God. You know, he he didn't agree with what God was doing or with what God wasn't doing. And so he asked him, how long? How long? What, what, what are you doing, God? Where, when are you going to step into this mess? And when are you going to resolve it? Because it didn't make any sense to Habakkuk. We talked through the idea that if we're going to learn how to wrestle and embrace, remember the meaning of Habakkuk's name is the idea of wrestling and yet clinging to. If there's any hope in the dark for us, we've got to learn that it's okay to take a posture. That posture with God at times where we don't understand and we do express the psalmist, many of them, took the posture to say to God, what gives? I don't understand. Uh, 
And for all of us who are going through this COVID-19 challenge, and all of us who've gone through marital challenges and uh, parental challenges and financial challenges, listen, it's okay to take a posture with God to where we don't understand. God isn't so so uh, insecure that his feelings get hurt if we take a posture that we can say, what's going on? I don't understand. And Habakkuk did that in chapter one. And God responded. God said, my plan's amazing and you're going to be blown away by it. And the reality is, is when God told Habakkuk the plan, Habakkuk was not thrilled with God's plan. As a matter of fact, at the end of chapter one, he was so unthrilled with, with God's plan that when it got to chapter two, Habakkuk said, listen, I'm going to take my stand. And I'm going to listen to your response, and I'm going to do so, so I can formulate my response about my complaint. It was not resolved in Habakkuk. There was nothing about Habakkuk's posture toward God that had been resolved because God took the time to explain his plan to him. Listen, the reality is that for some of us, it isn't as simple as, what gives God? What are you doing, God? Oh, I see. I get it. I'm sorry. You see, for some of us, that conversation takes more than one go through or one time around to be resolved. And for Habakkuk, that was the case. And then God in his infinite goodness and grace responds to Habakkuk in chapter two with patience and understanding and says to Habakkuk, listen, you're right. You know, I'm the kind of God that can't tolerate sin. You know, I'm the kind of God that doesn't, that doesn't accept that evil and I will deal with the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. I'll deal with their infidelity. I'll deal with their sinfulness. I'll deal with their disrespect. I will in my time. But he said something to Habakkuk in chapter 2 and verse 4. He said, listen, but at the end of the day, Habakkuk, the righteous are going to have to live by their trust and persuasion in me. And somehow between the conversation that Habakkuk penned in chapter 2 and chapter 3, we often think these, these letters or these books are written all at one time. We don't know that. We don't know if this conversation with Habakkuk and God took days or weeks. We don't know if he sat down in the span of 10 minutes and wrote it. We just know that, that the Habakkuk of chapter 1, who wondered, right, and was frustrated, and the Habakkuk of chapter 2, who was told basically, Wait, it's going to happen. Now changes his posture in chapter 3. And it's that change of posture that I want to spend some time today just sort of walking through as we learn how to resolve what we're dealing with. Because at the end of the day, if we're ever going to find hope in our dark places, there's going to have to be some, some resolution. There can be humanity that gets expressed to God. God is so good with our, our humanity being expressed. There, there's a place and a time for that. But we've got to be people who are willing to listen in a conversation so that God's divinity can be expressed. And at the end of the day, because of what Isaiah said in Isaiah 55, that God's ways are above our ways and God's thoughts are above our thoughts. And as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are God's ways and thought, thoughts above ours. At some level, no matter how much humanity we express... And no matter how much divinity gets expressed, there's going to have to come a time and a place that if we're going to find hope in these dark places, we're going to have to find some resolution. And so in Habakkuk's prayer in chapter 3, I just want to pull out a couple 
items that I believe that we can cling to to help us figure out not only how did Habakkuk change his posture, but how do we resolve what we don't understand? Listen, I was coming out of Bible college my senior year or getting ready to, and you know, I, 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 I've said it before, you know, I, my dream had always been to be an NBA player. That's all I cared about. That's all I spent my time doing. I worked myself to a place where I had multiple division one scholarship offers. And then God showed up and called me into ministry at St. Louis Christian college. One of the most difficult decisions I've ever had to make. And yet one of the most, one of the most clarifying moments I've ever had with God where I heard not as audible, but I knew he was calling me to that place. And so I let that dream go and I went to Bible college and by the time it was time to be a senior and life was preparing to launch forward, my wife was pregnant with our second son. We had a full-time ministry gig to go to. College had ended well. Uh, I had done well and was ready to go forward. I had given up my personal dream, my personal agenda to follow what I believed was God's plan for my life. And as college ended and transitioned into the real world to my ministry and moved into our home, uh, life changed dramatically. Um, my wife was six months pregnant. She had some complications with her pregnancy and had to be admitted to the hospital. And within, within six weeks of graduating college, I had buried our second son. I had lost my marriage as my wife and my son had left the day of the funeral. I had been fired from my ministry and had been given, had been given a week to vacate our home. All within the span of a week and six weeks after graduating from Bible college. And I remember, I remember taking a posture to God where I didn't understand. None of it made sense. It was like a freight train running over me. And it, you know, and I was comfortable with expressing my humanity to God. And I was comfortable with God expressing his divinity. But what I wasn't any good at, and I stayed poor at it for a long time, was how to resolve the differences to the point that I could move forward. Because I didn't. I didn't move forward. I ran. I ran for seven years because I couldn't, I couldn't come to peace with it. And so I think Habakkuk 3 gives us a little bit of insight into some characteristics we can develop if we ever want to resolve things and move forward so we can find hope in the dark. The first, the first characteristic that we find in Habakkuk is if you're ever going to resolve things, I'm talking about things you don't understand. Listen, at the end of the day, Habakkuk and God didn't understand the same things. You as human and me as human are never going to understand things the same way that God does. So how did he move forward? Well, first thing, he learned that why, he learned that why is more important than what. He learned that why is more important than what. I want to read Habakkuk 3.16. I want us to look this verse because this is the verse of the whole letter to me because this tells me everything we need to know about what Habakkuk was struggling with. Habakkuk 3.16. The prophet says, I heard and my heart pounded. Heard what? 
I heard what God was saying. I heard his plan. I heard that he was going to use the Babylonians and the Chaldeans. I heard of this, this crazy plan of God's. He says, I heard it. My heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet, he said, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. At the end of the day, Habakkuk was afraid. The great motivation in all of Habakkuk's writing came from this place of complete, listen to this, a place of complete self-interest. Habakkuk struggled with God's plan because Habakkuk was scared. He was scared. I don't think there's anybody listening that doesn't understand that. I mean, we often talk about how we'd like to know what God's plan is. I'm not so sure that we'd like to know what God's plan is because if we actually knew what God's plans were, we might spend a lot of our time like a back, like a back scared to death. But listen, part of, well, the entire motivation for Habakkuk writing this to God to say how long we learn in chapter three, verse 16 was he was afraid. He was afraid. His own self-interest His own self-interest motivated him to have a problem with what, everybody say what, what God did. And the reason that he struggled was because Habakkuk, as a mere human who was mortal and completely finite in his knowledge, was never going to understand an infinite, all-knowing God's plan. And so it was Habakkuk's self-interest that motivated him to have a problem with God. And the only reason Habakkuk's posture changed was because he resolved that why is always more important than what. Listen to Habakkuk 3, 1 and 2. So this is a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, on Sijanoth. Some people say that's a kind of poem or song. Others say it's a musical instrument, right? The reality was whatever this was, it was it was a... It was a prayer. It was an act of worship. And he said, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in all of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known in wrath. Remember mercy. Habakkuk's posture changes from one of self-interest to one of putting God's interest above his own. Why became more important than what? Simon Sinek is a leadership um, expert, guru, whatever we call people nowadays. He's a guy who's got tons of TED Talks and YouTube videos. He's got, he's got one of the best books out I've ever read. It's called Start With Why. And Simon talks about this golden circle in his book that is all about starting with the idea of why before we ever get to what? Because most of us are built around whether we're, whether it's about being in a relationship, being a dad, being a, a worker, being a mom, being whatever. We're always focused on what we're doing, right? What, 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 what? And we measure everything by what? We're mad at people because they didn't do what we asked them to do. You know, we ask our 17 year old daughter, Hey, can you please do this? And she doesn't do this. And we're mad because we're always focused on what? And generally that is motivated by 
a self-interest. I wanted to come home. I wanted the house to be clean. I wanted the dishes to be done. I didn't want to have to take the time to do them. She should have done them. And so self-interest says, this is not resolved within me. And I voice my complaint. Habakkuk did that. Habakkuk's fear of the Chaldeans, of the Babylonians, his fear of what they were going to do, drove him to say to God, what are you doing? And when he found out what, he couldn't believe God's plan. (coughs) Excuse me, because at the end of the day, listen, at the end of the day, when we put self-interest above God's interest, we're always going to have a problem with God. That's going to be nearly impossible to resolve things, to move forward. Habakkuk did just that. And and it doesn't have to be about fear. It can be about a hundred different things. But it always, almost always boils down to this. That until your, until your why becomes more important than your what, you're never going to be able to resolve the what you're having a problem with. Habakkuk said in the first two verses, and you, and you see the posture change. God, listen, I know who you are. I know your fame. And whatever you've done in the past, do it again. And please do it in our time. Make your name great. Habakkuk's posture goes from one of complete self-interest to one of totally interested in God and what God wants more than what he wants. Listen, it's what we as parents hope for our children, right? As we raise them and love on them and care about them, what we ultimately want to see is that at some point in time, in some particular way, we hear or we witness those children thinking about somebody else besides themselves. Because when our children begin to do that, we begin to think they're maturing. They're growing up. Because the reality is until a person, until someone puts other people's interest above themselves, we know that they're not mature, but they're incredibly selfish. I'm going to read a couple passages to you. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you do, Do it all for the glory of God. Comes in the context of a really long teaching Paul talks about in regard to how we should behave toward other people. And if what we do causes issues for other people, we should consider not doing it, right? Don't do something that's going to cause somebody else to stumble, to have a difficult time. And so Paul says, whatever you do. Do it in such a manner that God's interests are above yours. Listen, hope in the dark isn't you and I hearing God's plan and going, that's awesome. (laughs) I'm in total agreement with that. No, no, no. Having hope in the dark is the same as it's the same for us as it was for Habakkuk. And that is, we've got to find some resolution. And the resolution comes from the why being more important than the what. And the why is this. God does everything for his glory. Listen to Jesus in John 17. He says this. After Jesus said this, this is the day before Jesus' crucifixion. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and he prayed. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. 
For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they know you, the one or the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Jesus' whole, his, listen, I, I don't know how you ever resolve as a son with a father that the best plan is, is that I live, that I'm born, that I live 33 years, and your plan your plan as a dad is that you allow your son to be arrested unfairly, tried and convicted illegally, and then crucified by a Roman, a Roman guard. <coughs> that doesn't make sense to me as a son. And it, Jesus' whole, Jesus's whole ability to resolve the plan that God had for him to redeem the world came through this. God, I'm putting your interest above my interest. Your glory above my glory. And listen, part of the reason that so many of us struggle with finding hope in dark places isn't because, it isn't because we can't make it through the dark. Listen, the depth of the human spirit is unbelievable. And the power of the Holy Spirit to guide you through those dark places is immeasurable. The reason why so many of us can't find hope is because we can't find resolution. And the reason we can't find resolution is because we don't know how to put our interest in the secondary position and put God's interest in the first. Listen, being a believer isn't about always being on the same page with God, but it is about always putting God's interest above our own. It's about letting God have his glory. Just so there's no confusion about God. This is my favorite passage. This is the passage I used 10 years ago when I first started at Tomoka when I got to preach. It was this story <clears throat> that started the series, Let God Be God. Because this is who he is. John 12. Jesus said, my soul's troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Listen, this is Jesus. This is Jesus talking to his dad about going to the cross. He said this, Father, glorify, right? Make your name great through me. Listen to what God said to him. A voice came from heaven and said this, this is God. I have glorified my name and I'm going to glorify it again. I mean, to me, that hit me like a ton of bricks when I came to Tomoka 10 years ago. Worried about my own self-interest. How was I going to, how was I going to ever move past leaving home and leaving family, right? Thinking about me so much of the time. And yet when I got here and found out that I was going to be asked to preach for a few weeks, there was that passage that God gave me and said, listen, at the end of the day, Cord, if you're ever going to find hope in this difficult season, you're going to have to resolve this difference between what I think and what you think. What my plans are and what your plans were. And here's how you do it. You make why more important than what. And here's the why. I'm going to be glorified, God said. And I'm going to be glorified through you. And for so many of us, it isn't the dark that overwhelms us. And let's not, let's not kid ourselves. The dark is, the dark is overwhelming. 
Well, within, within a week's time when you bury your second son and watch your first son and your wife leave and you watch the elders of a church that you've served faithfully for three and a half years fire you and you watch, you watch as you drive out of the driveway of a house you've lived in for less than six weeks and your entire life falls apart. Listen, there is no hope of understanding how all of that goes down, but there is a way to resolve the difference between what I think and what God thinks. And here's how. You make why more important than what. You put God's glory above your own glory. You put his interest above your interest. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, you do it all for the glory of God. Why? Because as God told Jesus, listen, I don't need your permission to be glorified. I have been glorified and I'm going to be glorified again. And here's the great thing about God's glory. When God is glorified in the right way, people come to faith in him. Nobody comes to faith when you're gloried. Nobody comes to faith when you're exalted. Nobody comes to faith when your self-interests are met. But thousands upon tens of thousands upon hundreds of thousands and possibly millions of people come to faith in Jesus when God is glorified. Why? Listen, why is always more important than what? Second, the second change that Habakkuk made as we looked through chapter three was this. He understood that how, that how was more important than what? Not just why, but how, you know, how we get things done, right? There's an idea that there's an old saying, right? The ends justify the means, right? It doesn't matter how you get things done. As long as you get them done. That's all that matters. We call that pragmatism, right? The idea that getting it done is more important than how we get it done. I don't, I don't think that's true. It's certainly not biblical. Because getting it done in the way that God prescribes for us to get it done makes all the difference in the world. How is a valuable thing. You start with why. It's all about God's glory. It's all about his glory. How matters in that process. Because our God is not so pragmatic that he doesn't care about the means. Right? The end doesn't justify the means when it comes to God. There's a way to get things done. Here's how Habakkuk did it. Listen to Habakkuk's prayer. Starting in verse 3. He says, God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory, again, his glory. It's the why. It's all about God's glory. Not your interest, not my interest. It's about his interest. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed, but he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Cushan in in distress and the dwellings of Midian in anguish. And then go on to verse 10 and verse 11. It said, the mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water, he's talking about the flood now. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. He said, the sun and the moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows and the lightning are at the lightning of your flashing spear. Listen, 
Hope in the dark isn't about understanding. I'm 56 years old and I still don't understand why all of that went down six weeks after my graduation. And I don't buy into my friend's human explanation of all of it. I'm 56. I spent 10 years running a nursing home, watching people at times suffer because of the the ailments of a, of a body that was 85, 95, even 100 years old. And yet somehow their life hadn't been taken from him. And during that time, watched my 49-year-old father, who didn't smoke and who didn't drink and who exercised and ran, die of an aneurysm well before his time. There are so many events in my life that I don't understand. The gap between what God knows about them and what I know about them. The gap between what I perceive that God did about them and I would have done about them. I don't have any more understanding today than I did 30 years ago. But I have resolved them. And the reason I've resolved them is because why is more important than what? Listen, if being a follower of Jesus is about my self-interest, I'm always going to be angry. I'm always going to be upset. That's why we say it to Mocha, listen, this isn't about you. We're not discarding you and saying you're not important. Here's what we're saying. What God wants is more important than what you want. Habakkuk got it. And he said to God, listen, your name is great. I've heard of your fame. So guess what, God? Do it again. Do it again. Make your name great in our time. God, this is about you and not about me. For some of us, that's the simple step today. For some of us, it's about making how. How? Did, how? How? Listen, it's one thing to say, listen, God, you're more important than me. Your name is more important than my name. So you make your name great because if your name's great, people will come to faith and their eternal issue will be resolved. That's one thing. But how do we do it? How do we hang on to that when we struggle as humans to want to understand? Here's what Habakkuk said he did. He remembered. He remembered. Listen, all of those names and places, right? All those names and places like Teman and Paran, right? That was Habakkuk's way of going back and remember all of the places and all of the names and all of the ways that God was great. He remembered God's deliverance. He remembered God showing up at Mount Sinai, right? Teman and Paran are places around Mount Sinai. He remembered the power of God on the mountain. He remembers the light that came off the mountain. He remembers the, the deliverance of the Red Sea. He remembers the day that the sun stood still from Joshua's prayer. He remembers how good God really is. There's nothing that you and I can do in the middle of our crisis, our difficult seasons, at times to change what's going to happen. It's just going to be a difficult, a difficult thing for us to do. But there is power in remembering. Because when we can remember how good God is, it's possible for us to find resolution. So we're not, I'm not talking to you about understanding. 
Listen, if I thought there was a way for a finite man or a finite woman to completely understand an infinite God, we'd be having a different conversation. But there isn't. Which is why God told, which is why God told Habakkuk in the middle of his answer of grace and mercy, listen, those who are right with me are going to have to live their lives by persuasion and trust in me. At the end of the day, we're going to have to be persuaded that God is good and that God is great. How do we do that? Not by being pragmatic and going, listen, the ends just justify the means. No, by doing things like remembering. By remembering. Remembering what? Remembering all the seasons where God was good. Remembering all the times that when God did things that you didn't understand, but it worked out for your own good. Because that God is still the same God today. And even though we don't understand what God's up to or what God's plan is, if we know that God is good, then we can trust in verses like this, that God works all things together for good to those who love him or are called according to his purpose. When we resolve that a how is more important than what, and we resolve that God's goodness, because that's how God gets things done, that God's goodness is something I can remember. I can resolve my lack of understanding of what. Because at the end of the day, you get to the third, the third characteristic that Habakkuk expressed in his prayer. And that's this. Eventually, what gets resolved within me? Here's the thing. We get this principle, right? If you're, if you're a parent, if you're a parent that's motivated by good, right? You get this principle. Because there are things that as a parent, you tell your children. And at the end of the day, what you say to your child is this or your children is this. Listen, I just need you to trust me. I just need you to trust me. Now, if your children are like my children, they always want to know why. Why? 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 Why do you need me to do this? Because what they want is understanding. I want to understand, dad, mom, what you're doing. Right? What we want is for them to trust in us. We want our interest to be more important than their interest. And we ultimately want them to do it, not pragmatically, but we want them to do it based on how being more important than what. And that is that we love them and we are good to them. Because at the end of the day, when why becomes more important than what and how becomes more important than what, you and I can resolve the what within us and we can have some resolution and move forward. Because... Listen, it's the moving forward thing that matters. It's the moving forward thing that allows you and I to do whatever it is that God's got planned for us to do. I, I went to a, I went to a conference years ago working here at Tomoka. And the conference was at Saddleback Church where Rick Warren was at. And it was a last minute invitation. I've said this before. I felt sort of guilty about going. It was so far away. Came up last minute. It wasn't, it wasn't overly expensive, but it wasn't terribly cheap. Still to the day, one of the best things that I ever did. Because I learned the formula. I learned the formula that change equals loss 
Loss creates pain and pain has to be grieved, right? That the idea of people saying, well, nobody likes change or nobody likes and changes, whatever it is, difficulty, darkness, right? Whatever those things are, COVID-19 and everything that's come with it, right? Every one of those changes brings about loss, loss of something, right? Maybe it's just the loss of eating out. Right? Maybe it's just the loss of peace that comes from knowing that if I pass a stranger in the hallway at Publix or in the aisle at Publix, I'm not going to die if they sneeze. Right? Whatever the losses are that we've experienced during this time, those losses create pain. Pain in us that we have to resolve to be able to move forward. And that just requires grief. We've got to grieve. And the grieving process always is supposed to lead, hopefully, to the one place called acceptance. Because if we can't learn to accept, if we can't learn to accept what is happening, we can't ever be resolved. Listen to Habakkuk in chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. Here's the posture he gets to. He's learned that why is more important than what? Listen, God, your name. Listen, I've heard of your fame. Listen, do it here and do it now. Do it in our time. Your interest, not mine. Why more important than what? How? I'm going to remember your goodness. I'm going to know. Listen, I know you're good, God. So I'm going to remember it. And that's going to allow me to make how more important than what? So that I can come to some form of acceptance of what? And listen, what's never going to make sense to me, God, but I'm going to accept it. Here's what he accepted. Here's what he said at the end of his prayer. This is the same cat. Whenever this conversation started, said... How long? How long, God? And after he heard God's plan, he asked God, seriously? This is your plan, right? This makes no sense to me. That same guy says this. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, and though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, And no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Acceptance. It isn't about burying your head in the sand. Right? It isn't about just pretending that nothing's going wrong. As you could clearly see in Habakkuk's language, it was very picturesque. What if there isn't any harvest? And what if there isn't any food to be found? What if all of that fails? What? What if all of the what doesn't work? What am I going to do? Am I going to make my interest the supreme interest? That if I don't get what I want out of your plan, God, then I'm not okay. That's what Job's wife said. Get it over, Job. Just curse him and let's move on. No. Because the righteous... They don't live with understanding. Listen, and I, and I know right now, I just know right now in my spirit, I'm talking to somebody. I'm talking to somebody who is struggling with this right now, who, who's angry, who's mad, who wants to know, who wants to know why. And who's lived their life making Christianity about their self-interest. Listen, the righteous, the one who, who's in a right relationship with God, That person is going to have to learn to live with their persuasion in God, their trust in God. And the only way to do it 
is to make why more important than what. That means making God's glory more important than your glory. That means putting his interest above your interest. And so these tantrums, these tantrums that we throw at work and we stomp our feet and we get mad because things didn't go our way. It's all about your interest. Because you see, when you go to work at a church, you don't get a free pass because, oh, I'm serving at church. I'm making God's agenda more important than my own. No, 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 no. That's not enough. It's how you live at work determines whether or not God's interests are greater than yours. I mean, think about how many times we get upset, how many times we pout, and how many times we lose our temper with somebody. Because why? Things didn't go my way. My interests weren't served. If being a Christian was about my interests being served, if being a Christian was about Jesus' interest being served, he would not have died on that cross for you. But he said, not my will, but yours be done, God. Yours before mine. Listen, for some of you, the darkness is not the struggle. <laughs> the darkness is secondary. The issue is letting go of your agenda so that God's name can be great in our time. And for some of you, You've just forgotten. You've forgotten how good God is. And you've let your issue with what God's done cloud your judgment of how good God is. Habakkuk remembered God's goodness. Right? He remembered it at Teman and Paran. He remembered it in the crossing of the Red Sea. He remembered it in the plagues. He remembered it at Mount Sinai. He remembered it during the battle with Midian. Maybe you just need to remember today how good God is. Maybe you need to look back so that you can remember that how, who God is and that value is more important than what he does. We sure hope that's the case with our kids, right? Because sometimes we make mistakes as parents. And man, we hope that our kids are willing to see that our goodness is more important than what we did. Because at the end of the day, we've got to resolve it. Listen to what Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 7, in verses uh, 10 through 14. He said, do not say, why were the old days better than these? <laughs> tempting, listen, it's tempting to say that during this season, right? I mean, with everything the way it is, why were the old days better than these? He says, for it is not wise to ask such questions. Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing. And benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. Consider what God has done. Consider it. Listen, I don't know what your life, I don't know what your life situation is. And I don't know how much darkness there is in it because of what you're going through. But here's what Solomon says. Consider what God's done. Who can straighten what he's already made crooked? And when times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. <laughs> you got to remember. Because at some level, resolution only comes through acceptance. And listen, 
not minimizing your struggle, certainly not minimizing the change that you've endured or the darkness that you're facing. This isn't a, this isn't a discussion about whose story is the worst. This is about how do we learn how to overcome what's nurtured in us as humans so that we can be a person in right relationship with God and live by faith. That's all this is about. Finding hope in dark. Why more important than what? How more important than what? So that ultimately we can resolve what within us. Daniel. I'm not, I'm not going to read Daniel, but I want to close with Job 19. Job 19, these verses sort of sum, sum it up. This is Job again in his conversation about what he's heard from his friends. And about his feelings with God. He says, he's alienated my family from me. My acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My relatives have gone away and my closest friends have forgotten me. My guests and my female servants count me a foreigner. They look on me as a stranger. I summon my servant, but he doesn't answer. And though I beg him with my own mouth, my breath is offensive to my wife and I am loathsome to my family. Even the little boys scorn me when I appear, they ridicule me. All my intimate friends detest me and those I love have turned against me. This is Job. I am nothing but skin and bones. I have escaped only by the skin of my teeth. Have pity on my, have pity on me, my friends. Have pity for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you pursue me as God does? And will you never get enough of my flesh? Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in the rock forever. Job, they have been. And here's what he says. I know that my Redeemer lives. And then in the end, I, or in the end, he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I can't even imagine what um, some of you are going through and what you've gone through. I can't fathom the pain that some of you feel. I just can't imagine. I know what I've been through. And I know that life has been hard. And that one of the most difficult things to do has been to figure out how to live by complete trust in God when I just don't get it. I hope this series has been helpful for you in that. Take your posture of humanity toward God and trust that God will take his posture of divinity with you. But at the end of the day, to stand before God in a right relationship requires that we trust in him. And the only way to truly trust in God and to resolve all of this is to make why more important than what. Listen, God, it's your glory. It's your agenda and not mine. To make how more important. Listen, God does everything based on his goodness. Sometimes we just need to remember that. So ultimately, we can come to a place that when change happens, that creates a loss, that formulates a pain in me, that I can grieve it in a way to accept it. Never going to understand it. You're never going to understand all of it, church. But you can accept it. And the way that we do that is when we put our trust in him. And as Job said, listen, I know that my redeemer lives and that one day he will stand on this earth.
And after my flesh has decayed, yet in my flesh, I will see him again. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, thank you for not being a know-it-all. That when we come to you with our lack of understanding, you deal with us with such compassion and such grace and kindness. Grateful for the story Habakkuk told. I'm grateful that he was a prophet. I'm grateful that, that he was different. That you didn't give him a word to tell us. You allowed him to give you a word from us. And so we learned so much from you about it. I'm grateful that you took Job at his word and you wrote and kept what Job wrote down and engraved it in stone so we would have it to understand that it can be a real struggle when you do things, God, that we don't understand. But I pray in the end that we'll learn to be people who can resolve these issues within us, even though we may not completely understand what you're doing. Habakkuk did. Job did. Your son did. God, help your children like us do the same. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.